to Titus, Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2. Ah, it is on. There's a fan up here. I wanted to make sure I had it on. It's kind of... Well, it's good to see everybody here today. And uh, like I said earlier, pray for Pastor while he's gone. I know Pastor's preaching four times while he's gone. So, you know, you might think that's a vacation, but in a way, every time I preach, I know it's not a vacation. But in a way it is, because it's good to spend a lot of time in the Bible and, uh, and get what God has for us. You know, let me turn this on because I haven't turned it on. I think I'm on. So, are we good, guys? Okay, good, thanks. Um, you know, we live, in a, we live in a messed up world today, you know, um, it's just amazing how things have changed in the last, even in the last year from what they were. You know, there's uncertainty everywhere, you know, violence everywhere. Um, you know, the, the foundations that we grew up in are changing. You know, uh, the institutions that we respected, you know, they're, they're different. They're different than what they used to be. And uh, violence, you know, you... You, who'd ever thought that somebody would walk into a Topps grocery store and shoot people? I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy. And, uh, but, you know, we can be alarmed, and we should be alarmed, but we can also have confidence in God, knowing that God is with us. And um, there's two things that never change, the truth from God and the peace that God can give you. You know, the Bible says that we can have peace with God. Well, I was, I was looking at, when my father passed away, I got a lot of his old books. And I, I found this poem when I was looking in the book, and it doesn't really have much to do with the message, but I just thought it was pretty interesting, thinking about today. This poem was written in uh, March 1954, two months after I was born. So... <laughs> It's an old poem, but it, it applies to today. The name of it is Abiding Peace. Peace to thee, my wish, my prayer, my greeting. Peace to thee, wealth greater far than gold. Peace to thee, as swift the years are fleeting, and this world now is growing grim and old. Peace to thee, deep, settled, strong, abiding. The peace we know of God's forgiving grace. The peace of simple trust of calm confiding that guilt passed from us when Christ took our place. Peace with things around us truly shaking, and they really are, aren't they? When foes and forces rise on every hand, when men with men all confidence are breaking, and evil stalks unstayed through every land. Yes, peace to thee, God's peace the heart possessing, his great gift to us for our walk below. Thus, with increasing evils round us pressing, we ne'er shall panic or confusion know. There's a lot of truth to that. Written in 1954, and this gentleman was concerned about the state of the world in 1954. Well, how much, how much more now 
than, uh, than then, than then. So let's read Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 1, and we're going to spend most of our time in Titus chapter 2. But Titus chapter 2, I was reading this the other day, and it's a great admonition for the times we live in. Titus chapter 2, starting with verse 1, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience, the aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, nor not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of a contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not entering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise these. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be in church today. God, thank you for your blessings, God. I pray that you'd be with Pastor this morning. Be with him, God, as he, as he preaches and, and in this conference, God, that you'd help him to be a blessing. That you'd watch over him, God. Thank you uh, for his testimony, God. Thank you for his steadfastness. I pray that you'd be with us, God, as we look at your word this morning. Help your word to be a blessing to us. God, help us to be encouraged. God, help us to be challenged. God, help us to, to see what we need to be but also to take comfort in the fact that we have a God that loves us, cares about us, and wants to do great things in our lives. God, encourage us this morning. God, be with Junior Church this morning. I pray that you'd be with uh, the teachers. God, be with the children as they hear your word uh, taught and preached, that you'd uh, let your word, God, accomplish what you want it to, God, that you'd be with those uh, hearts. Uh, those tender hearts, God, that you'd help them to stay tender toward your word, God, and that you'd help them to those that aren't saved, God, that you'd help them to see they need a savior. And those that are, God, I pray that you'd help them to grow and help them to realize and remember that they've got a God that can be counted on and a God that can be depended on. Thank you uh, for our church, God. Thank you for these folks that have come this morning. God, I pray that you'd uh, help them not to see the speaker, God, but help them to see your word, God, and the truth that can be learned from it. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Titus, Titus, the, the um, Apostle Paul is giving Titus advice, but I think it's advice that we can get 
It's advice that we can get. And in verse 1, he talks about sound doctrine. He said, speak the things which become sound doctrine. You know, God's truth doesn't change. Doctrine is always the same. And, you know, we have, we have a world that's changing constantly. And uh, our world is judged by a people's opinion. And the opinion sways back and forth. And, and uh, uh, what, what is popular now? And we should follow popular opinion and all those different things. And the news media tells us what to think and uh, how we should react to things. But God's word never changes. And he said, speak the things that become sound doctrine. Sounds doctrine. You know, God doesn't care about my opinion. And he doesn't really care about yours. In, in Psalm 119.89, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. It's settled in heaven. The Bible doesn't change. You know, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, his message was the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, you know, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 11, if you want to go there real quick, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11, the Bible says, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the Apostle, so the Apostle Paul is telling Titus, Speak the things which become sound doctrine. The, the doctrine is based on Christ died for our sins. Christ rose again. Christ is able to save you. And that's sound doctrine. That doesn't change no matter what I think or no matter what anybody else thinks. And you realize right and wrong doesn't change. You know, the Ten Commandments doesn't change. It's still wrong to, to cheat. It's still wrong to steal. It's still wrong to lie. It's still wrong to commit adultery. It's still wrong to do all those things, no matter what CBS News or CNN or anybody says, or how popular it is in Hollywood. All those things are still wrong, because God says it's wrong. And that's why, you know, sometimes as Christians, we get overwhelmed by the people around us. And we don't want to stand up for what's right, because ten people in the room, ten people in the room um, are against us, are against us. This, 40 years ago, this haunts me to this day. 40 years ago, I was in a room with 15 other people I worked with. And the, my manager said at, at Easter time, I don't know what anybody's getting excited about, somebody rising from the dead. And I kept my mouth shut. And I've never forgotten. It was like yesterday. I let God down. I didn't stand up for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, I was intimidated. Well, we shouldn't be intimidated when we have the truth. When we have the truth. That doesn't mean we have to be arrogant about it. That doesn't mean we have to shoot our mouth off and be a jerk. But we can still speak the truth in love, the Bible says. And we can still uh, be a blessing to those around us. So Paul's message was, speak the truth, was, speak the things which become sound doctrine. And then in verse 2, he says that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. You know, I guess, I guess I'm an aged man. <laughs> That's kind of hard to admit. But, but uh, you know, it sneaks up on you, doesn't it? But you know what? The longer we're saved, the more we should grow and be able to be an encouragement to those around us and be an example.
to those around us. You know, I think those of us in this congregation, men and women that are older, should be an example to those that are younger. Because we don't realize, you don't realize how old you are. Uh, as you get older, people look up to you. People look up to you. You know, I've got a bunch of grandchildren that I, it break my heart if I let them down. And, and other people said the aged men, that they be sober, that they be temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. I don't know about you, but as I get older, I try to develop more patience. I want to get sweeter as I get older. One of the things that disappointed me about my father was he got a little bit, my father was saved and he taught me a lot, but as he got older, he got a little bit bitter. He got a little bit bitter with some of the disappointments in life. You know what, as we get closer to the end, we should get sweeter. And you know, the young people in this church, ah, oh, I hate that when I cry. Uh, the young people of this church should, should look up to us as a goal to strive toward. And we should be an example. That's what a Christian man should be. That's what a Christian woman should be. We should be an example to teach the younger. Because you know what? They've got a rough road ahead of them. They do. And uh, it says in verse 3, it says, The aged women likewise, as they be in behavior, as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You know, uh, and I, I thank God for the women in our church. I really do. Being examples to the younger ones, teaching them and encouraging them when they're raising their children. You know, it's, uh, when, every time I see some of the young mothers around here that have several babies, several toddlers, I try to encourage them. Say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You'll live through this. <laughs> and, and if you live through this, you'll have a smile on your face. And I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up. Just hang in there and do what's right and raise your children the way you should and look to the older women for advice and for help because you know what? If you hang in there and do what's right, you can look back and see the fruit of that. And honestly, you think about it, the next generation in our church is in that nursery back there. The next generation in our church is in the teen class and in the Sunday school this morning. That's the next generation in our church, and we need to be examples, and the older men and the older women need to be examples to them. You know, our society, you know, Adam in the garden was lonely, and God knew that Adam needed a sweet influence in his life, so Adam, uh, God created woman and gave, him, gave Adam a wife. And you know what? We'd be lost without women. We would be. For one thing, there wouldn't be any kids, but, but uh, 
we would be lost without the sweet influence of women, but our society is trying to make women like men. Instead of, instead of glorifying the position of woman and all that women do, do you realize what my house would look like if I lived by myself? I mean, it would be a real mess, believe me. And there's so many times in my life that my wife has been the encourager and the don't worry about it, it'll be okay part that we need, that we need. And we need to be that in the church. We need to be that in the church. Um, you know, it's natural. You know, the Bible talks in Romans 8, uh, 1, 18 about the, the uh, last days, and it says that they'll, they'll be without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection. You know, it's natural. It's natural for a woman to love her child. It's natural for a woman to love her child, whether it's born or unborn. It's natural for a woman to love a child. And our society is making it so, well, it's not natural. It's not natural. We could just treat this, we can just treat this baby like it doesn't exist. So we'll call it a fetus. When life begins at conception, and that baby is just as much a person two seconds after con uh, conception as it, was when, as it will be when it's 40. It's just as much a person. Abortion's wrong, abortion's murder. And uh, it breaks my heart when I see our society discounting all that and saying, you have a right to do. You have a right to do what you do with your body. God put you on this earth. Our purpose here is to glorify God. And you don't have a right to kill the unborn and, uh, and do those things. But we should be examples. We could be examples. God made, woman, God made woman to make this world a sweeter, happier place to live. And you know, we've got a bunch of sweet women in our church and they make our church a, a better place to be, a better place to be. And like I said, we all need to be examples one to another. Get on to verse six, it says, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Having no evil thing to say of you. You know, we should train our young men to know what they believe to know what they believe, and to have sound speech that cannot be condemned. Not be afraid to stand up for what's right, but to be able to articulate what is right. Be able to articulate what is right. You know what, as, as aged men and aged women, we should be doing? We should be praying for our younger generation every day. We should be praying for them. My wife and I pray for our grandchildren every day. We pray for kids in this church every day. You know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, it says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call unto God without of a pure heart. You know, when we were young, you had to work hard, in some instances, to fall into sin and to see bad things. Not now. It's, it's jumping out in front of you. You can't look anywhere without seeing something bad. I'm glad I'm not a teenager anymore. 
But you know what? I'm 68 years old. And that stuff still is out there. So we should pray for one another. Go to Job chapter 1. And Paul is encouraging Titus, encouraging us what we should be doing and how we should live. Job chapter 1. And it talks about how much stuff that Job had, you know, all the camels and all the sheep. But verse 5, uh, verse 4 says, And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them, rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Thus Job did continually. You know, we should be praying for those around us, praying for the adults, but praying for the kids that are rising up in this world with all the lust and all the stuff that's going on out there. We should be doing it continually. Because it may be, like Job said, that they're getting away from God. And I pray, and you know what I pray for? I pray for the young men, the teenagers in this church. I say, God, listen, keep their hearts right. God, keep them from sin. Keep them from those things in front of their eyes. Keep them from the strange women in Proverbs that it talks about. Uh, keep them from those things that are gonna drag them away from you. Because it's out there every day. The devil is throwing his stuff out there saying, come to me, come to me. Look at what I put out there. And you know, our flesh wants to do that. Our flesh wants to, but we should pray and beg God. Beg God for the next generation. Beg God for the young men and the young women in this church. And you know what? Be an encouragement to them. Walk up to them and say you're praying for them. Be a, be a, a friend and a help to them. You know, uh, and, and try to make them laugh and put a smile on their face. You know what? Because they're out in the world and some of them have got jobs now. You know, it disappointed me when I, I worked at a concrete plant for 41 years. I know what construction people are like. They don't talk like Sunday school teachers. And so many of our children are going out in the workforce. They're going to hear things that they never heard at home. They're going to have people saying things to him and trying to get them to sin. We need to be begging God that when the opportunity comes, they'll walk away. They'll walk away. And that's easier said than done. That's easier said than done because my flesh wants to sin so bad Bible says it in me, that it's in my flesh, well, it's no good thing. No good thing. There's no good thing in this flesh. And I'll never forget, one thing you need to do, parents, when you, and I'm a, boy, I'm a big believer in this. You've got kids working out in the workforce. Have supper with them every night so they could talk about what happened in the workforce during the day. And we could discuss things. You know, when my kids were growing up, there was nothing off limits. Nothing. I mean, we didn't get dirty, you know, not that. 
but they could ask me, they could ask us anything, and we could discuss anything at the supper table. Because if they could ask mom and dad, they wouldn't be doing, they wouldn't be doing it out in the workplace. They wouldn't be doing those things. And we need to be an encouragement and, and praying for one another. So it says, sound speech. Verse 9 says, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. He's talking to slaves. But you know, we can apply that to our workplace. It says, not answering again. You know what? Don't join in the coffee, the coffee break griping session. Uh, if you've worked any place for any time at all, there's always somebody with a bad attitude. There's always somebody that says the boss is an idiot. There's always somebody that says we should be doing it this way. Uh, it's out there. It's everywhere. But as a Christian, as a Christian, it says exhort servants to be obedient to their masters and to please them well in all things. Not purloining. In other words, not stealing. But that doesn't mean just stealing, you know, copiers. <laughs> you could be stealing time. You could be stealing time. Um, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. In all things. What does adorn mean? That means wear. Wear the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. When we're out in society, people should see the difference. You know what I, you know what's made a big difference? I just, many of you know, I'm, I'm now a politician. There's some days I wake up and I say, what in the world was I thinking? Uh, but, the, but there's other days I've been, uh, because I took the job, I didn't know what I was doing, and I'm still not quite sure what I'm doing. So every, <laughs> every day I, I pray and I say, God help me. But you know what? I, I had a change of attitude. Um, you know, all through the Bible, and I almost preached on this this morning, but all through the Bible, it refers to Moses as the servant of the Lord. It refers, Paul, Peter says, the servant of the Lord. Uh, James says, James, the servant of the Lord. And sometimes we pray and we say, God, give me this, give me that, give me something else. But you know what I've been praying lately? God, what do you want today? God, what do you want me to do today? I don't want this. What do you want me to do? Because I want to be the servant of the Lord. When we go in the workplace, we're the servant of the Lord. When we go to the grocery store, we're the servant of the Lord. Because Jesus Christ died for us and we should be his servants. We should be his servants. He showed us how to be a servant by washing the disciples' feet. And he said, the greatest among you, let him be a servant. So that's what should be our attitude. You know, the Bible says, whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men. As to the Lord and not unto men. And that's helped me so much. It's helped me so much when I've had town board meetings and we've had cranky people in there. You know, how would, how would Jesus deal with this guy? You know, as to the Lord and not unto men. Because ye serve the Lord Christ, it says. We're his servants. We're not, not picking on you, Mike, we're not the state of New York servants. We're not, 
I'm not the town of Montezuma servant. I'm not Tessie Plastic servant. You won't be much longer, right? Um, <laughs> I'm not, you know, you're not the lawyer's servant. You're the servant of the Lord. And we need to remember that. That'll help us to have a better attitude when we're working for a jerk. Because there's certainly some out there. I mean, you know, I, uh, I have worked, I've worked for some cranky people over the years from diff at different times. But that will help you. You're serving the Lord. When you smile and this guy's treating you bad, you're serving the Lord. You're showing him the difference. You're showing him compassion. Because you realize, you think about it. Some of these people are under so much pressure that, and at the end of the day, they don't get saved. They're not, they're going to spend eternity in hell. So if we could put up with a little bit of crankiness and we could put up with a little bit of bad attitude for somebody we work with to be a servant of the Lord and to show them Jesus Christ. Because, you know, it says in Peter, it says if you're, if you're, uh, you're treated good and you treat somebody else good, even a lost guy can do that. And boy, am I paraphrasing. But it says Christ also suffered and, and he did it right. And like I said, I should turn there, but because uh, I'm butchering it. But, but Jesus showed us how we should do it, how we should do it. So, our, so a servant should be obedient under their own masters. But to me, the best part of the chapter, after, after we get told how we should act and do all these things, God reminds us why. God reminds us why. And in verse 11, and if you look at this, this is all one sentence until the end of verse 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's one of the great passages of the Bible. God wants us to appreciate what he's done for us. God wants us to appreciate what he's done for us. And you notice it starts out, it says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. You know, grace brings salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And you know what also it says? The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Hath appeared to all men. Grace is available for everybody that's ever lived. It's available, God's grace and forgiveness. It's not God sitting up to heaven, like the Calvinists want to tell us, and say it's only for a select few. It's for everybody. Grace of God has appeared unto all men. You know, it says in the book of Revelation, at the end of the book of Revelation, it says, And the spirit of the bride say, Come, and whosoever will, 
let him come and take of the water of life freely. I used to have some Calvinist friends, and I used to argue with them and say, what do you do with the whosoever wills in the Bible? What do you do with them? Uh, they're, there, they're there for a reason. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, it says, um, um, yeah, 1 John, let me go there. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. These things are written that you sin not. I know it says that, but hang on. And I can't find it. Somebody took it out of here. 3 John's Jude and Revelation. Here we go. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation or payment for our sins. And not for ours only. But also for the sins of the whole world. The sins of the whole world. So that grace, that grace is for all, for all. Um, let me get back to Titus here. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And then after that, what does it say? Like I said, there's a comma after men. Verse 12, teaching us, teaching us. So after grace saves us, Grace puts up the chalkboard and teaches a class and says, this is what you should do. This is how, what I want you to learn. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God wants us to be different. It says, denying ungodliness, anything that does not bring praise, adoration, and honor to God is ungodly. Anything that brings dishonor to his name is ungodly. Just like anything that is not righteous is unrighteous. You know, there's no middle ground with God. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You know... Um, and if we live like that, we're going to be different because we have a, a godless society. It's unfortunate. We have a godless society that kids are getting taught to question whether they're a boy or a girl. When I was in first grade, I got taught the 23rd Psalm. Uh, and we read until I was in fifth grade, they used to read the Bible in school and we used to pray every day. And uh, now we're being taught to question who we are, to question our biology, and uh, all those different things. Because so we live in a, a godless world. Nothing, uh, like I said before, some things don't change. Some things don't change. God's truth doesn't change. And um, it's absolute, absolute. But teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. In this present world. Um, exercise restraint. Be sober. The Bible says in Ephesians, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Live righteously. Our neighbors should know that, that we're righteous people. We should pay our bills on time. We should be kind to people. 
We should do all those things that stick out because we live in an unrighteous world. We live in an unrighteous world. But what, what should encourage us? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope you're looking for the blessed hope. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28. So Christ once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 3. I guess the, the crux of my message is this is how we should live and don't give up. Because Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. You know, that's what we have to look forward to. That when we see, when, we, when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Run that around in your head for a while. That <laughs> There's a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand. One of them is that I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I deserve to go to hell. I don't deserve to be a joiner with Jesus Christ. And when I see him, it says, I'm going to be like him. You know, our goal on this earth should be to be like Jesus. But when we see him, we really are going to be like Jesus. If that doesn't encourage you and, gives you and give you something to, let's not give up living a holy, righteous Godly life, that's something that should encourage us to put a smile on our face. There's sometimes, you know, there's some passages in the Bible, and I don't run anymore. Since two knee surgeries, I don't run anymore. But some of that stuff, if you read it and you really look at what it says, you should want to run around the building a few times and shout in hallelujah. But if I'd probably get that far and rip something, you know. But... Uh, but it's enough to make what God has promised us. What God has promised a sinner. I don't deserve to go to heaven. Going to heaven would be okay just by itself. But that, what's it say in Ephesians? That God has, mind can't conceive what God has promised to those that love him. You can't conceive and I can't conceive what God has promised. Therefore, how should we live, right? Therefore, how should we live? Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. But look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself, purify unto himself a peculiar people. First Peter chapter 1 
And verse 18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, for you, for me. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20. The Bible says, and have a, for verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in heaven or things in earth, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. Yet now hath he reconciled. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. According to the riches of his grace. God, has, it says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people. When God redeems us, he redeems us from all iniquity. I'll never figure that out, that a sinner can come to God by faith, put faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and God will forgive us for every sin. Forgiveness is a great thing. Forgiveness is one of the... When I was a little boy, I was overwhelmed by the fact that God could forgive me. God could forgive me. If you're under the sound of my voice, no matter what you've done, God can forgive you by the riches of his grace. That's what this chapter is about. That's what the end of this chapter is about. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. We should be different. We should be peculiar. When the world sees us, you know, my neighbors, I'm sure, my neighbors, I didn't have to live my one, next to my one neighbor very long for him to realize that we went to church. And, and the first time I met the man, without ever talking to him, when I said something to him about his loud music, he said, what's the matter? It's not Jesus music? How did he know that? I never even met him. But he saw on Sunday morning that, that I got in the car and I went to church. And, um, and by the way, it didn't turn out well. But, uh, but he saw that because it's peculiar. It's peculiar to be here instead of like half of Auburn out mowing their lawn this morning. Or we're staying in David and Karen's house while they're out of town, and I look out there, and they're out on the golf course worshiping the little white ball, you know, and uh, taking all their frustrations out on it. Uh, you know, you're, you're peculiar. But what does the last thing say? Zealous of good works. You know, we could be zealous about a lot of things. But the Bible says zealous of good works. 
zealous of good works. You know, how about you? How about me? How about me? Are we sound in doctrine? Are we just staying steadfast, unmovable? Because you know what? God's unmovable. You know, my oldest brother, and, and I, I, I pray for him. I don't, we all grew up in a Christian home, but I don't think my oldest brother's saved. But he's 12 years older than me, and he made a statement. My father, my father said something to him about the way the world's going one time. I'm there, I think it was like 1980 or something. And he said to my father, he goes, well, it's 1980. And my father was born in 1910. And my father goes, so? You know, it's still the Bible. It's still the Bible. Whether it's 2022 or no matter what it is. So are we sound in doctrine? Are we staying faithful to the truth? Are we sober-minded? Are we being an example to the younger generation, us that are older? Are we being an example to each other? Are we encouraging one another? Are we letting the great, are we, uh, are you a recipient of God's grace and salvation if you're not saved? Or are you letting the grace of God through the Holy Spirit teach you to be more like Jesus Christ? And are you zealous of good works? Zealous of good works. Sometimes we're zealous to do a lot more on our job or whatever, but zealous of good works. Because what do good works do? Good works show other people that there's something going on in here. And that should be our goal. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessings. God, thank you for loving us. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for how it speaks to me. And God, even when I'm preaching, God, you're convicting my heart for where I'm, I'm uh, short in so many areas. But God, I'm thankful for your grace and thankful for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you'd be with anybody that might hear that might not be saved. God, I pray that you help them to see that your grace is free to everyone. Be with those, God, that might not be right with you. God, I pray that you'd help them to come back to you and to realize, God, that you'll receive anybody that comes back and confesses their sins, God, and wants to get right with you. God, thank you for your word. God, I just pray that you'd help us to uh, let it burn in our hearts. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to stand together with your heads bowed and your eyes closed.